It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What if a nursing college cared for its students the same way nurses cared for their patients? What if the focus was on keeping students in, not weeding them out? What would happen? Something extraordinary. Join us, and together we can make a difference. Chamberlain University College of Nursing. Extraordinary care, extraordinary nurses. Visit Chamberlain's Arlington campus for an open house on September 14th at 4 p.m. Enrolling for our three-year BSN degree program with no current wait list. Register at chamberlain.edu. Because his dad is a moron! With Matt George... Like LeVar said. And Leo Biaz. By saying, yes, it does, Leo. Cowbell Kingdom's podcast. Here's Matt and Leo. And welcome to Cowbell Kingdom podcast number 288. I'm Dustin Brakebill filling in for Matt George, who's somewhere probably recovering from WrestleMania (laughs) and opening day for the Oakland Athletics, uh, alongside the host, one of the hosts of Cowbell Kingdom's podcast, Leo Biaz. Hey, Leo. I'm happy that you're here, Dustin. No problem. Uh, I'm happy that you made that cool little intro. And, of course, Matt's out there recovering from WrestleMania because it was a huge hangover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> John Cena proposed finally. Stuff like that happened. Hey, yeah, that was the right girl for yeah. him. Definitely. <laughs> Brock Lesnar won. No Brock spoilers. Brock Lesnar run. Undertaker retired. Retired. I mean, we had a yeah. bunch of stuff, guys. WrestleMania was the event to watch mm, Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, it was. It, it was crazy. People, it's a, it's a like, it's like the Super Bowl now. People take off to, or not take off today, but that's what they do all Sunday on WrestleMania Day. And it was beautiful weather. They were in in Orlando, right? Mm-hmm. Only thing I wish we would have saw was Shaq versus Big oh, Show. Oh my god! But Shaq kind of. But bailed. we got the yeah. guy from the Patriots. Yeah, Rob, Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> Gron- Gronkowski yeah. was out there, and I'm sure Belichick wasn't too happy about that. Dustin, what if, what if he got hurt? That would have been funny. Oh my gosh! If if his shoulder would have popped. Oh, and another just silliness yeah. from him. And the time we're typing or taping this, not typing. Uh, Tim Tebow's in the news too. He had a home run in his first minor league baseball game. So that's today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Tim Tebow. 
So is he like going viral or? It's going viral. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. It's all over ESPN and all the other networks. What do you think about him just overall? I don't know. What's Tim Tebow got to, he has, he can't play football anymore. So he has to do something with his life probably. <laughs> I mean, he is He's super pretty good athletic. on TV, yeah. but I don't know. I, think, I don't think he wants to do TV. That's why he has a couple more years doing yeah. athletics. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we have a great show tonight, Leo. Two great guests, as he said. Two great guests. We have Chris Herring from mm-hmm. ESPN, mm-hmm. Uh, and we have Brian from Basketball Breakdown, who just wrote a very good article on the Kings and their future and how the post-DMC era looks like, Dustin. It's going to be interesting, the post-DMC era, maybe for a year or so, because you got Buddy Hilde, who basically the Kings fans are happy. I kind of told people last year watching the NCAA tournament, this guy, he was the sleeper in the draft for me because the mm-hmm. way he played for Oklahoma, mm-hmm. he's one of the best players in the country last year. Absolutely. Yeah. And the guy can do one thing at an elite level yes. and that's shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. The way he shoots the ball, yeah. Dustin, I, I watched this guy three hours before every single game. He's out there just shooting it. And I'm talking about shooting like mm-hmm. three, 400 shots before a game. Yeah. Uh, he's still out there when Ben McLemore gets there, when Langston Galloway gets there, when all the guards get there. He is still shooting the ball because he wants to perfect that shot. Mm-hmm. And his shot is just beautiful to watch every single night. He's getting better and better every single night, mm-hmm. uh, Dustin. And uh, I'm really excited for his future as a Sacramento King. I know he embraced the fact that when he did get traded, he said, God did this for a reason everything Mm -hmm. happens for a reason and i know that my calling is to be here in sacramento and and i just love the positive vibes what is what about it if long kruger knows how to make kings players basically mitch richmond was one of them before he came to the kings i didn't even think of that yeah long kruger when he was at kansas state now he was the coach at oklahoma so something about long kruger helping kings players it's pretty fascinating with buddy hill now and we all know how mitch did in sacramento after his Time in Golden State, so second team always helps. Yeah, so Mitch is he probably ranks you know second or even top yeah top ever as best player in Kings history. So yeah, well, the same guy coached him, so uh, same guy coached Buddy, so it's going to be interesting. And one thing that I can say about Buddy is that he works relentlessly mm-hmm. yes. hard, and you know Kobe raved about him. He literally goes after games into the practice facility and he just puts up shots because he wants to be good. He is obsessed. And anytime anyone in life, this is just Mm -hmm. life advice. If you're obsessed at doing something, you will become very good at it because the, the amount of work that you put into it, if it's above average and it surpasses just the norm, you're going to be good. And people ask all the time, would Kawhi Leonard be good on the Kings? Yes, I, I firmly believe. I don't think he would have been good maybe at the same rate as far as maybe in his second, third year. But you know what? He would have gotten there because the guy flat out has talent mm-hmm. and he has the work ethic. And anytime you have work ethic, Dustin, you're going places. Yeah, and we all remember last year, Buddy Hill, as I mentioned before, the March Madness just ended this year, but the year before, Kobe Bryant basically kind of helped him out a little bit, said, hey, do this, do that, and mm-hmm. Buddy listened. And who has one of the best work ethics of all time in sports? It's Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. So <laughs> Buddy Hilde, if he has Kobe Bryant's worth ethic, oh he's going to be one of the best. Absolutely. Yeah. And and even if he doesn't, say, no. turn out to be that. We're 20- not saying he's yeah, yeah, be Kobe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even if he doesn't, he will always have a place in this league mm-hmm. because this league – 
needs shooters yes. and we know that this guy can shoot the rock dustin mm -hmm. what else do we got uh, uh as far as topics for today's show before chris calls in the show so we talked about work ethic a little bit mm -hmm. and the caught topic in sports and sports radio lately is resting nba players oh my god and a lot of people don't like it dennis rodman came out today or mm -hmm. yesterday one of the days before we were recording this basically saying i don't like it lebron shouldn't rest and all these legendary players are getting on this topic now mm -hmm. and it, it's gone viral kind of yeah and i see both sides yeah. i i, I yeah. see both sides i see the front office side the coach's side and the player side and, th and then i see the fan side and the sponsor side obviously if you're a sponsor and you're mm -hmm. paying millions upon millions of dollars um to showcase your brand on ABC on a Saturday night and LeBron wrestles and he's drinking coffee alongside Kyrie Irving and mm -hmm. people are paying $1,300 to sit five rows from the floor, that's not a good look no. for the NBA, Dustin. Some kid wearing a little LeBron jersey or some one of these players resting jersey. So yeah, it's not a good look because some some people don't have that much money and maybe every couple of years they get to go to an NBA game and the night they want to go see their favorite player, mm -hmm. he's not playing. It's just really sad mm -hmm. uh, from a fan standpoint. But then from a coach's standpoint, I want my best player to be fresh for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I completely understand it. Now, Dustin, the question is, how can we meet in the middle huh, yeah. where, you know, both sides win? Shorter season, maybe. Some people is putting that out there, which takes away some revenue. So how are you going to make up that? Revenue and records. Yes. And records, which yeah. is a huge thing. It's it's been a topic for every sport basically. How are you gonna get these players to be rested nowadays? And but you are also in a business and you have to make money. And how are you gonna make a deficit back up? So they they haven't figured that out either. So it's all about money in pro athletics, athletics and they haven't figured it out. So before they figure it out, they're gonna start resting players more. Yeah, and I've I've said this. I think. Instead of resting them the entire game, mm -hmm. you know, LeBron should start the game and play about, you know, seven to ten minutes a night. That way, at least the fans can get a chance to see the guy play. Sorry. And I think that would alleviate a lot of the frustration from fans and sponsors. And not sponsors, because sponsors will never get yeah. the full amount of money. If, if, if fans know that they might play for seven to ten minutes a night... They're probably not going to tune in, but for the fans that paid to go to the game, mm -hmm. at least they got to, at least they get a chance to watch the guy We're play for a little bit. We're putting logos on jerseys next year. Oh my so, gosh! So Celtics already have their logo with General Electric. So this is that's another revenue too. The Sixers too. with uh, StubHub. Yeah, I think I believe so. Let me. Yeah. And the Kings are going with Blue Diamonds, which is local mm -hmm. here in Sacramento. So that's that's cool. Um, but yeah, Dustin, it's just such a fine line of how do we find a balance to resting guys mm -hmm. i i understand it the schedule is not the best I, I just feel like the scheduling needs to be a lot better in terms of of spacing out back-to-back -back nights you know they should just again if they're not going to shorten the season have no preseason whatsoever and uh really space out and ha maybe have five back-to-backs the entire year yeah because back-to-backs, some of these guys hate them, especially the older players. They put traveling two days in a row, basically. it's it's They hate it because they can't get rest after playing, what, 48 minutes, some of them? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be impossible to see. We also have uh, this great article you wrote about Ty Lawson, which uh, his Tar Heels just won the national championship Monday in Phoenix, and 
tell us a little bit about the article you wrote. Yeah, so my angle was just to talk to him about mm-hmm. his thoughts and stuff like that. But then it, and then when I was thinking about it more, I was like, you know what? In reality, this was a redemption tour for North Carolina, mm-hmm. and in some sense. It, this season has been a redemption season for Ty Lawson. Lots of NBA executives, GMs, coaches, even players had questions about, hey, will Ty Lawson ever be the Ty Lawson he was in Denver? Mm. And we don't know if he'll ever get to that level. But this season, he has definitely showed that he can play basketball and that he can run a team as a reserve or as a starter because earlier in the year when the Kings were still in the playoffs the guy was slicing and dicing teams creating open shots for his teammates inside the paint beyond the arc the guy can flat out play and he is one of the few players in the league that gets to the paint at will Dustin Mm -hmm. and he's very effective at it yeah he is and he, he's been this all the way since North Carolina. He's one of the best players that probably not the best that came out of North Carolina, but mm-hmm. he's in the top 10. So Absolutely. And 12.6 points per game is NBA career in, what is it, like 10 seasons almost? almost? Yeah, that's so, not bad. You no, know, yeah, uh, about eight seasons. But, yeah, he's he's been a proven player in the NBA, and what he did in Denver proved it, and what he's doing in Sacramento just taking a step back to help him hopefully get a longer career. This is what he needed. Absolutely, and I – as I said in, in the article, if the Kings don't bring him back, don't worry. <laughs> there will be lots of suitors asking mm-hmm. this guy to play on our team because yeah. this guy can be a key, a key reserve on any playoff team and, and any team trying to make that jump yeah. from a playoff contender to a championship contender because we know that Ty Lawson is capable of leading the team to a championship. Yes, we are. Uh, also, what we have on the program tonight we want to talk about uh, should should. Uh, the Kings tank the rest of the season because that's a topic in sports. Well, too. they've been trying to. <laughs> yeah, it's been a topic. And they just for a keep while. winning. Yeah, you know, as a as a basketball player, and I know, and I know this for a fact, the players don't want to lose games, mm-hmm. Dustin. You know, and the only thing you can do as a front office is to rest certain guys that you think might help the team win. And for for example, the other night against Dallas, Dallas had all their players, and the Kings did too. They both teams had eight players dressed. And it just comes to show that both both teams were trying to lose the game. Mm-hmm. In terms of the front office doing everything they can to give themselves a better shot at losing. But when you're a player out there, you're busting your butt. And you're going all out because that's the way you play. Scow and, and his young Kings, they wanted to win the game. Because at the end of the day, these guys are not thinking about, hey, I don't care about the draft picks. Yeah. I don't want to lose my job to a, to a rookie next year. Everyone's aware of this, uh, Dustin, mm-hmm. and uh, even the veterans are to some extent. You have to be a little bit selfish to think about you and your family at, at at some point. And players don't play to lose. Players don't miss shots. Players want to go all out all the time. And at the end of the day, players, the players that that, that are on the Kings are not just playing for the Kings. They're playing for the NBA. Yes, they are, and they, they're 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 playing for basically pride and. People who are competitive in the NBA is a competitive league, like every other major league, wants to win. So losing sucks, and it's not going to happen. And I, I think some players that say they want to tank, the only way to tank is get worse players. And we've seen that a couple of years ago with Sam Hinkie in the 76ers. Mm-hmm. So that's the, basically the only way you can lose right now in sports. 
by just playing young players? Not playing young players, but playing basically players who are not basically at the top of their level. They're mm-hmm. not developed yet. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've seen for the last couple of years with certain teams in sports. So how do you explain how the Kings won that game when, in fact, they sat out other veterans? And yeah, like we can't explain yeah, that because no. both teams had a bunch of young players. Mm-hmm. And it just happens that our young players are a little bit more uh, developed in their careers than Dallas's yeah. young players. Yeah. And they won the game. They were hungrier. Ben McLemore all of a sudden wants to score 20 points a night and just flat-out ball. and uh, it, it gives guys also a chance to show what they have. And some of these unknown players, and this is what's, what happens when some of these coaches or front offices want to lose because they want to get more better players. Mm-hmm. They Somebody shines, and they take off. And Ben McLemore, he's playing yeah. for the NBA because he knows that his days in Sacramento are coming to an end. Another Kansas guy. Another Kansas. I, I don't want to talk about Kansas Bill guys. Self, come on. Yeah, overrated. Thomas Robinson, one of the Who? most. Yeah, the one of the Who? biggest busts. What team's he on now? God, he's been like on twenty teams. It seems I'm surprised like. he hasn't went to China yet. Yeah, I yeah. am too. Yeah, we'll I play am. with Stefan. And the fact that he barely made the Lakers team comes to show how bad of a player he is. Because if you can't make it on the Lakers, you're not very good. Period. So uh, let's take a quick second real quick, and we'll get Chris Herring from ESPN on the show and start this Cowbell Kingdom podcast. And uh, welcome back to Cowbell Kingdom's podcast, episode 288. Dustin Brakebill filling in for Matt George alongside Leo Bias, And we have Chris Herring from 538.com joining us. Leo? Chris, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing really well. How are you guys? Doing Pretty, fantastic. Doing fantastic, Chris. Um, Chris, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of your unique style of writing. How did you come up with the idea of breaking down charges taken by Anthony Tolliver? And what was the process like? Um, so I, I like to kind of manipulate statistics that are out there. Um, you know, I think sometimes there's so many numbers out there that we're just excited to have one element of something that we can look at that we've never looked at before. And so this year, the league officially started tracking charges. And, you know, that, that's like tracking the number of field goals that someone makes without knowing how many they've mm-hmm. actually taken um, or, you know, how many threes someone. It's like looking at how many free throws someone makes over the course of a game. DeAndre Jordan could hit nine free throws, but if he's taken 44, that's not necessarily good. And so, um, you know, I was interested in knowing a little bit more about who's really, really good at this in, in the sense that they not only – take a decent amount of uh, charges or, you know, draw a decent amount of charges, but also never get called for blocking. And so um, when I looked at a list of just this year's guys, Anthony Tolliver jumped off the page. I think when I started researching it, he was like 10 for 11, mm-hmm. which was the best in the league this year. But then when I looked at past years as well, he had a, a year where he went 19 for 23. Um, I think last year was actually his worst season recently where he went something like um, – 13 for 19 or something like that, which is still really good compared to the rest of the league. And so I looked at it and I wondered, you know, he, he seems way better at this than the other guys that also take or, you know, draw a lot of charges. And so I actually hadn't even finished doing all the research. I immediately looked for a way to speak with him. I live in Chicago in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, um, I immediately tried to start finding a way to get in touch with him, whether it was, through the team and that was what I ended up doing was a phone interview but I normally like to talk to these guys in person and so I was trying to see 
did the Kings have another trip out to the Midwest this year or, or even on the East Coast or something where I could catch them in an atmosphere where I could talk to him about that because I immediately kind of surmised, I, I bet any money that this guy learned how to take charges at an earlier level of basketball because <laughs> you, you generally don't just get really good at that sort of thing the minute you come into the league. Um, guys don't focus on smaller stuff like that once they get into the league. They don't really practice defense the same way they practice offense and offensive sets. So um, I was curious if it was like a high school or a college thing. And lo and behold, talking to him for even five minutes, you, you find out that it, it was something that he practiced at an earlier level of basketball. So it was a fun story. I mean, it's not the sort of thing where I'm watching their games. I'm like, oh, he seems really good at taking charges. <laughs> uh, it, it definitely wasn't. I'd love to admit that that's what it was, but it, it wasn't. Uh, I kind of surfed around through some st- uh, statistics at first and uh, very quickly noticed how outside the norm he was and really the fact that there wasn't anybody else close to uh, drawing charges as efficiently as he does. Yeah, that's awesome. Another story that really stood out to me was how the Kings love to blow leads. As you wrote that story, did you have to stop and laugh at some of the stuff that you were seeing in terms of, wow, how did they blow that lead or how did they mount that comeback? Um, I mean, that was a weird one because I I had already had that idea mm. for the story um, I mean, it was really weird. I, I mean, it's really strange when you really think back the chronology of everything. I had like two or three Kings ideas way back in like early February. Um, and, you know, again, because of where I live, I didn't necessarily want to fly all the way to Sacramento just to do one or two interviews and then fly all the way back. I've done that, but I, I normally try to limit how often I'm doing that sort of thing. Um, particularly, I actually think about the time that, the Kings came here and I had to, I was, I remember having a, a story idea about DeMarcus Cousins. And then if you remember, that was a night where he got called for the touch foul on Dwayne Wade. Yeah. It really <laughs> should not have been a foul. And everyone was waiting on him to just explode in the locker room. Um, I think P, PR people, um, the Kings PR people were ready for that as well. And then he gave the really extremely sarcastic response to the question. He, he basically praised the yeah. referees for yeah. just doing an excellent job and that they made all the right calls. And obviously he was being very sarcastic as he said that. And so because of that, I didn't get an opportunity to ask him the stuff I wanted to ask him for the features I was working on. So I I wouldn't want to fly all the way to Sacramento to interview somebody who could potentially get ejected and then not be able to do an interview after a game or something like that. You know, DeMarcus Cousins is just kind of too hit or miss. So I wouldn't want to fly that far. So anyway, um, I had looked at all this stuff before the all-star break and realized really quickly they have way more situations where they've blown a lead and they have way more comebacks than pretty much anybody else. And it's just weird that you could have both ends of the spectrum with one team. And so I had planned to write that before. And then DeMarcus Cousins got traded and he's obviously the, the big star there. He was the big star there. And so with that dynamic of this team changing so much overnight, did it still make sense to write that story? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did write it, but it was kind of an awkward story to write because obviously some of you know, that, that sort of trend that they had going was because of him, because they're so reliant on him. And if he goes cold or if he, you know, if he's operating from a different part of the court. So it was a, it was a strange story to write. Um, I also had been in the process of writing a story about how DeMarcus Cousins is constantly the most blocked player mm-hmm. in the NBA. And I, I actually talked to DeMarcus uh, two days before he was traded about why it is that a shot get blocked so often. 
Um, and, you know, we kind of joked with him about that story that I was writing and that interview that I did with him. But it was just very weird timing to have all these stories that I was writing about the King as that trade was going to happen. And then it obviously changed the face of the franchise overnight. And that's the perfect segue for me, Chris. How would you uh, rate this DeMarcus Cousins trade for both the Kings and the Pelicans? Because we all know it it, it shook up the landscape that Sunday night after the All-Star game in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, it obviously surprised everybody. You know, I think for the reporters that were there, for a lot of us, we had to make last-minute decisions about whether we were going to stay in New Orleans two or three days longer to cover his first game there um, after the trade. It was just really weird timing on everything. And obviously watching the game, all of a sudden, you know, people had questions, is something happening with DeMarcus Cousins because he's not playing in the second half of this All-Star game? So, um, you know, my initial thought on it was that, you know, the Pelicans are really going for it. Um, The initial thought for the Kings, like I think most people was like, is that really all they're getting back? I think, it tells you a lot about where, I mean, I think that the Kings probably pulled the trigger at the wrong time. Um, you know, Vladi came out and made one of the strangest admissions or acknowledgements ever, where he said that the the package that they were being offered before was actually better. <laughs> um, so that, I mean, it was very strange to, to see certain elements of that deal happen. Um, I, I was really underwhelmed by what the Kings got back, but I think it also tells you that we, you know, the people on the outside, including some analysts, um, we, we don't know kind of how teams feel about Cousins. We all know that they love his talent and we love his talent, but he, he obviously does come with some baggage too and kind of what sorts of teams are willing to take on that baggage for where they are in the standing. Um, you know, how do you know whether he'll be conducive to the sort of environment you've already spent time building up? Um, but for the, the Pelicans, and I wrote this within the first few days of that trade, um, he's not a totally natural fit with that team. I mean, anytime you can take a losing team that has Anthony Davis on it and add that sort of talent to it, you do it, especially someone that young. But, you know, I, and this is my bigger question for the Falcon going forward is you see a bunch of teams that are successful and maybe they have a big man on that team, a good big man, but they're not. It's very rare that a team – um, thrives with someone that they're going through, they're, they're playing through the post. That's really not today's game. You know, all these teams have a star guard or wing player or two star wing players and maybe a, a very good post player. Um, I mean, you look at the Spurs right now, they've got Kawhi, you look at the Cavs, and they've got two wing players to put next to a Kevin Love. Um, all these teams seemingly have, that's kind of their first stop is, is a star wing player first. And then everything else outside of that, you try to build up. And so to have not only one guy, but two guys that you try to play through the post or, you know, the big position. Um, I love Drew Holiday. He's one of my favorite players in the league. But the construction of that team, given where they are in their cap uh, and the fact that they're going to be capped out for the most part, I just don't really know how you continue to build upon what they've got. And so, you know, it, it's, they've kind of run counter to what you have with their coach, with Alvin Gentry, who's always played a more up-tempo style seven seconds or less sort of ideology. And so, I mean, in in theory, you like the trade because New Orleans wasn't going anywhere fast with the the previous roster that they had. But I'm not sure how much this really makes them better. It it makes them a sexier team, but I'm not totally sure that it makes them better yet. Um, I don't think you can call it a failure quite yet because it's, you know, you you had less than a half season to even work this out. But it's it's really difficult to see how they're going to be able to 
parlay this into something really good uh, because they, they have a lot of holes on their roster and really don't have the resources to fill them. And one of the players the Kings got back was Buddy Hild, and uh, he's taken off so far as a King. What do you make of them? Uh, what Buddy Hill has done as a Sacramento King so far? I've liked it. I mean, he, he, you know, I think people were really down on him really early in New Orleans. I mean, I, I wrote about New Orleans. They're actually the first team I wrote about when I took this job at 538 uh, about a week or two into the season. And he, he had played so poorly in preseason. He played so poorly in um, – in, in the first few weeks, maybe months, two months of the season in New Orleans. I mean, the guy is a scorer. And so if he's not able to do that or not able to do it efficiently, it's really going to hurt, you know, whatever prospects you have for the guy. You can't really play him um, big, big minutes if he's not doing what he's out there to do. Um, and so I think maybe there's some comfort level and maybe not feeling the pressure that you're taking away shots from someone, you know, knowing that this is, um, I mean, and unfortunately for the Kings, a lot of these seasons have been lost seasons, but knowing that you can kind of go out there and have the freedom to, to not play your best on a given night and to try to bounce back from that, the atmosphere is a little different. You know, the, the Pelicans were trying to chase the playoffs even after they made that trade. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it'll be a younger team going forward, you would think. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know. Sacramento, it's such a conundrum to me with, with what they're doing or what they plan to do. Uh, you see the reports of stuff with Sam Hinkie and other other stuff and, you know, what role is Vladdy going to have. But I like the fact that Buddy is in an environment now where he can kind of learn and, and play without that sort of pressure. Of, if he's taking a shot, is he taking a shot out of Anthony Davis's hand? Because um, that's, that's something that really does impact younger players. Maybe not Buddy as much because I don't think he plays with that sort of conscience necessarily, and that's probably one of the good and bad things about his game. But seeing him in an environment where he can play and, you know, and have these good games and occasionally have a bad one without worrying about, you know, from night to night exactly what that means. I think he needs the room to grow and the kind of uh, trial by fire a little bit. When you look at this current Kings roster post-DMC, has there been a player who has stood out to you, Chris? Um, I mean, other than Buddy, who looks more comfortable in this environment, not so much. I mean... There's still so much stuff I'd like to see. And I, I wonder how you guys have felt about it with, with Tyreek coming back. Um, you, you look at a guy like – one guy I've always really liked um, is, is Ben McLemore. I, I've always liked him. I know he's, you know he's shown his shortcomings there. But it's always kind of you know the same way that we look at guys that have played for Atlanta or the Spurs where they have career years. I think the, the same questions get asked in reverse about the Kings. Um, you know, are guys being held back developmentally because of all the, the challenges that come along with that organization where they draft uh, a player at the same position two years in a row where you get a Stauskas and a Macklemore and it's kind of like, are, you know, you're, you're, you end up kind of pitting guys against each other without that having been the intent. And so I, I wonder sometimes if that happens. Colley Stein has actually stood out quite a bit since uh, DeMarcus got traded as well. Maybe a guy that just kind of needed – room to spread his wings a little bit they had so many bigs on the roster at different times throughout the last few years and so he's played better and you hope that maybe he's taking a step forward because i think he he kind of underwhelmed people at first when he got there but he has so much potential defensively um you know showed it in college very athletic maybe a a limited offensive game but has so much that he could do um you know and, and has started to do a little bit more on the offensive end as being a vertical floor spacer and so um, I, I would say those two, Buddy and, and Willie Collinstein, have, have stood out a little bit since that trade, and I think that's a good thing. Chris Hearing of 538.com is joining us. 
So recently, uh, it's been in the news uh, because the playoffs are upcoming, but a lot of teams and fans and former players are upset that players are resting. What's your take on this hot topic? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's changing. We, we did a story at the site the other day that I thought was good and had some really good visuals to it that showed statistically that teams are resting guys a lot earlier than they ever have before, kind of year by year that's happened. So it's not just that they're resting more. Um, you know, and traditionally when we've seen that, it's been playoff teams that have done that. But now when you look at a team like the Lakers sitting out Luol Deng and, um, and Timothy Mozgov, and they're obviously not going to the playoffs, actually quite the opposite where they're, you know, they're trying to keep a pick. And you look at the flip side of that, um, you know, obviously you have a team like Cleveland or a team like San Antonio or the Warriors or what have you. But then uh, for every team like that, then you've got a team like the Suns who, you know, arbitrarily decides that Tyson Chandler is going to sit out. Um, and Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe and guys like this. And so uh, you're, you're kind of seeing a new day now with these teams that are deciding to just sit guys when they're not in a playoff race. And I do think the league has to figure some of this out because it's very clear that these picks are important to these teams uh, in some cases. And then the Kings were guilty of this too, a little bit with the trade, um, not wanting to have to relinquish a, a first rounder to the Bulls. And so kind of making that decision when they were, I mean, theoretically in the midst of a playoff race, it wouldn't have been a five or a six seed they were chasing necessarily, but they were still in the race. And I mean, what's the best way to, kind of ensure that you are not in a race mm-hmm. or that you're not going to win a playoff spot. Well, it's probably to, to limit the amount of minutes that, you know, your best players are playing and you can't really sit the Marcus cousins out on a team like that, where he's head and shoulders above everybody else on the roster. So you've got to trade him. So, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate to see it, but I mean, the league is going to have to at some point make some real tough choices about, you know, probably shortening the season to avoid this sort of thing. If you played less games, over the same amount of time, uh, I imagine that you know teams would be more reluctant to rest guys. They wouldn't have to do it as much. Um, but I also do think teams are using it as a convenient excuse to to just not play guys so that they can lose. And um, so I mean that's that's the part that's changed. It, it's one thing to see teams resting guys to make the playoffs. It's totally different over the last couple of years to see teams do it because they want to lose. I want to talk a little bit about Lonzo Ball and his father, LeVar. I firmly believe it's the media's fault for putting a mic in his face. And I am in the minority that believes that putting a target on his son's back is actually a good thing because that will make Lonzo better. How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, everybody's different. We don't know if it'll make him better. Um, I mean, I, I tend to think that he is who he is. Uh, regardless, in terms of his ability. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we've seen he can play. I mean, for a college player, I mean, we haven't seen any college player talked about that much who we're not totally sure is going to go number one. I mean, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just very odd. And I mean, the other thing we really haven't seen is a college player be discussed that much for reasons that had nothing to do with him specifically. This, I mean, his dad was legitimately getting more attention than he was. Um, and I mean, the thing is when you talk to people around the league and you see like the anonymous quotes that come out, nobody really even hints at the fact that this would hurt his draft stock at all, uh, because people are watching how his son is responding to it. And he seems totally mature. I mean, it's, it's funny because you hear some people compare him to Jason Kidd a little bit because of the size and the passing ability and, you know, his ability to kind of 
take over games in different ways, rebounding, uh, what, what have you, as a point guard and from California and everything like that. And when you watch him play and when you listen to him talk, it kind of reminds me of Jason Kidd too because Jason Kidd is so understated and is so quiet. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just really weird to kind of see him take that role and his dad take the other. But, yeah, I, I am right with you that I, um, I I definitely blame a lot of people in the media for kind of propping up, up the way they do. The network I work for is someone guilty of that, probably very guilty of that. Um, you know, I even tweeted, and I felt bad after I did, I tweeted, uh, retweeted a friend of mine who was linking a story that one of his colleagues had written and, you know, about – um, about the Ball family, and I was just like, "Can we just? Can I go ten minutes without hearing about this guy?" <laughs> it probably looked like I was kind of coming down on the guy that uh, that tweeted that out, and one of my friends, and we're very good friends. So I didn't mean it that way, but it's just it, it's kind of nauseating, and I, it, it does kind of feel as if it's putting a target on his kid's back, which has nothing to do with his kid, other than the fact that his dad is the one kind of spewing this stuff, but. Uh, we have no idea whether he's going to be a really good pro. I mean, it seems like he'll be fine, but it just, you know, there's so much marketing behind him now, or, or you know, he's gotten his mm-hmm. name out there. Everybody knows who he is. That's fine. Now you've accomplished that, but now it kind of just seems like he's potentially putting his kid in a spot where his, no matter what his kid does, that he's been so hyped up just by one person. And uh, I don't want to see his, you know, I don't want to see, Lonzo fall flat because of that. I hope he has a good career, but you don't want someone who has no stake in this really, mm-hmm. um, you know, no negative stake to, to be the one that kind of has to do with someone's downfall. You don't want to see that happen. And so I'm curious to see how it plays out, but I mean, if it doesn't work out where this guy is like an all-star, an all, you know, all NBA player, uh, you know, I just hate the idea that his dad is the one that's been putting this out there, not his son at all. Chris Herring of 538.com, which he came out with an article recently today about the Phoenix Suns, which I found pretty interesting. The Suns lead the NBA in fouls with 1,963. What's with the Suns and fouling people? And Devin Booker, this team is still young, as you said in the article, is only 20 years old. What's uh, what's next for the Suns, who are playing the King, Kings upcoming very soon? Um, You know, I, I think they're, they, so again, they're, they're in a weird spot because they've gone out of their way to kind of start losing even more lately to sit Tyson Chandler, sit Brandon Knight, sit Eric Bledsoe. Um, and they, you know, they're interesting in the sense that they have so many young guys on that team, a couple of whom are really talented. I think Marquise Chris could be good. Uh, we obviously have seen what Devin Booker can do offensively. Eric Bledsoe is a good player, but it seems like they have a decision to make on him and kind of what his future is there because there's going to be interest in him. Uh, I think even this summer, based on what happens with the point guard market and free agency. And so they've got some really nice pieces, but they've got a lot of kind of mismatch pieces in the sense that you've got guys that are a little bit older, like Bledsoe, um, than the youngest players that they've got, like Booker. And then you've got a guy like Tyson Chandler, who's kind of accomplished anything and everything you can in the league. He's been an all-star once, has won defensive player of the year, has won an NBA title, has been in the same shoes as a lot of these kids that are on the team now, where he comes into the league is an overwhelmed teenager. And so, you, you know, and, and then you've got Earl Watson there as a coach. And so you've got a lot of different kind of factions to play to, and you got to figure out what you want to do as a team. And so it, it doesn't shock me that they struggle with the foul thing. They've got so many young players and so many of those young players are big that, you know, you go through a learning curve 
of how to defend without fouling uh, when you're young in the NBA, especially as a big man. And it seems like teams have kind of picked on them to some extent, realizing that they can't guard very well uh, straight up or in post or what have you. And because of that, they kind of take them to school and, and end up having to play from behind offensive players and they foul from behind a lot of the time. So that doesn't shock me. But what they're trying to do long term, I don't really know. I mean, they're, they're probably going to have to move a piece or two to figure out exactly what it is they want to do. Um, Bledsoe might be kind of the, the first domino with that sort of thing, whether they keep him or not. But if you do, then it, it's just kind of a larger question of, how does he fit into what you're doing since he is a little bit older than everybody else? Kind of a, a, a lesser version of the Knicks right now uh, in terms of like having one guy that clearly doesn't really fit the rest of the roster. And um, like, obviously not, you know, Bledsoe is not Carmelo's age by any means in relation to Porzingis or something like that. But Bledsoe is, you know, I think 26 or something mm-hmm. like that. will be 27. And when you look at that and how far away they are from contention realistically, and start thinking about Bledsoe versus Booker and, you know, Marquise Chris is a 19 and a 20 year old and Dragon Bender and, and guys that are, you know, less than 21 years old, 21, 22, uh, Alex Lynn is 23. And so all these guys could potentially grow together, but, you know, do you flip one of these things for a pick? Um, Chandler is there and likes the mentorship role, but um, he might have more value to a contender as well. And so, there are definitely some pieces that you might be able to flip for something that's younger. And uh, I think Phoenix, if they take that route, uh, who knows whether uh, Earl Watson will be the guy to see it through because they, you know, they have shown some pretty bad tendencies on defense that they have a lot to figure out on offense as well, but it's a young group. And so they, you know, they could be good in time if they all grow together and they find the right pieces to match with those guys. And the final question for you tonight, Chris, Who's your MVP? Because mine's Russell Westbrook. <laughs> this triple double streak is out of my well, out of everybody's mind. Is he your MVP? You know, I, <laughs> I've got to sit and write a piece tonight. Uh, we're we're doing kind of a not a series, but I guess we're doing kind of a a five person project at five thirty eight, where each one of us is going to write about one player and why they should be MVP and we've kind of sketched out who was going to write about whom, um, you know, a week ago or so. And I took Harden and I've got to turn my piece in tomorrow. Um, but now at the time that I agreed to that assignment, I thought Harden was the MVP, um, not, you know, by a huge margin or a wide stretch or anything like that, but that's who I would have picked. And now, you know, over the last week, I, I think Russell Westbrook has kind of either at least pulled even, or, you know, in some people's minds it's, has locked up the award and it's um so it, it's, it's one of those things where i don't feel and it's weird because normally i'm not the sort of person that just writes things um to write them for reaction or for you know um just to kind of get into people's heads and i'm, I'm not someone that believes in the idea of hot takes I, I don't just write things for clicks and so now it's weird because i don't really feel totally compelled to write this piece anymore because i don't feel really strongly about James Harden winning the MVP. I don't feel really strongly about Westbrook winning it. I mean, I'll be really honest. I think Kawhi has a decent argument. I don't think I would give it to him over the other two guys, but I think you could you could definitely make a logical Absolutely. argument for him. Um, so I, it's weird because I because I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I don't really feel that compelled to argue vociferously for anybody. And um, so I, I, I 
you know, I would have leaned Harden a couple days ago. Um, I, I think Westbrook has a much greater burden on his back to, to get this team into the playoffs. Um, and he's done that, and it looks like he's going to do it to where he might even get them to six or, you know, at worst to seven. And when you look at that team, I don't think it's a bad team, but they would be if Westbrook wasn't there. You know, they can defend, but I don't think they'd be able to create much of anything on offense. Um, with Harden, you know, they, they obviously are, would not be a great team with him either. But, um, you know, I think what's impressed me most about Harden and his situation is that nobody expected them to be a contender. Um, you know, I think a lot of people picked Oklahoma City to finish in front of Houston. And so I think the reason that I would have picked Harden before has a lot to do with the fact that my expectations were in a much different place than where Houston's going to end up. Whereas with Oklahoma City, this is about where I saw them ending up. But uh, Russ has done so much more on his own than I thought was capable. And so it's, it's been really impressive. And like you said, the streak lately where he's had game winners or game ceiling shots and, you know, had – almost a 60-point triple-double a couple of nights ago. I mean, it's just – I'm not really sure how you could ask him to do much more than what he's done. And while his efficiency isn't where James Harden is, James Harden's is, um, I mean, it's it's pretty good considering how much he's taking on. I don't think the average person knows what his usage is in relation to anybody else's in NBA history. And it's, it's saying a lot. I mean, just a whole lot of things we've never, ever seen. Harden's doing some of that too, but I think Russ is – Russ's performance, when we look back on it, I think we might look at him eventually and be like, how did you not give it to a guy that was this good on a team that had this little outside of him? So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a tough call, but I don't feel strongly one way or the other at all. Chris, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. That's Chris Herring of 538.com and the ESPN True Hoop Networks. We'll be back after this on the Cowbell Kingdom podcast. Well, Matt has the night off. I'm Dustin Brakebill filling in for Matt George alongside Leo Bias on Cowbell Kingdom's podcast. Leo, we just had a great interview with Chris Herring. We have another one right now. Yes, sir. We got Brian to park. Is that is that is that right, Brian? You nailed it. Good work, guys. <laughs> uh, well, Brian, thank you for joining us this evening. Um, you recently came out with an article on. Um, Basketball breakdown. Yeah, basketballbreakdown.com about the Kings and DeMarcus Cousins trade. Give us a little preview of it and how f- people can find it and tell us about it. Sure. Uh, so, first of all, thanks just for having me on. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> glad, glad you guys liked the article. Uh, so, it's on dballbreakdown.com. Uh, it's about the Kings' post boogie future and kind of looking into how. Uh, their young guys have fared since the boogie trade, particularly uh, Willie Colley Stein, Buddy Heald, and Scott Lebissier. Yeah, just give me your initial thoughts on Scout. And I asked this to uh, Mike Schmitz from Draft Express: If the draft was redone, would Scout be a top five pick in your eyes? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, ooh, top five? Uh, I mean, because the the entire class has been so underwhelming. Exactly. <laughs> That's why. Maybe. But, like, I still take Ben Simmons over him for sure. I mean, I still take Jamal Murray over him. Really? I'd probably take Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so high on Jamal Murray. Okay, That's fair. He's also just so young. Uh, you know, he's been – I feel like he's a guy who could break out next year. He's just been buried behind the bench for so long. I think Stahl, there's a very legitimate argument he's a top 10 pick if you redo the draft right now, though. I think that's fair. Um, I mean, you know, he was 
he was a disappointment at Kentucky. I think it's fair to say. You know, he came in as I think what the number one recruiter, like mm-hmm. top five recruiter in the mm-hmm. country. Uh, uh, you know, the, he, he was supposed to be like the next Anthony Davis, and you know, like Noel, like one of these one and done guys that comes in Kentucky, puts up huge numbers, top five picks. Um, he never quite found his groove there. Uh, you know, he had a couple games where he showed those flashes, and then he would just go back to being kind of an afterthought. And so that that probably explains why he fell so far. Uh, even still, I mean, I'm surprised he fell to 28. You know, and I think going into the draft, you figured late lottery, mid first round at worst. But the fact he fell to 28 was pretty absurd. But you know, he, he was buried behind. 1,500 big men for the first couple of months of the season. He was shuffling between the D-League, so you had to worry that, you know, here we go again, that he's just never going to quite tap into his potential. But since the boogie trade and since they started resting Costa down the stretch, you know, he's actually getting into the rotation and he's showing these flashes. Like, not only, not only does he have the fact that he can stretch the floor actually makes him Possibly a great long-term compliment to Willie Colley Stein, who really seems to operate primarily offensively, at least on the interior. Um, it, you know, it's a very small sample size, so we, you know, you don't want to draw grand conclusions mm-hmm. from post All-Star break action, especially because a lot of teams are intentionally going young. You know, <laughs> uh, Tom Haverstrow had that article the other day about how like teams are now faking injuries because they don't want the empty rest, but. You, you get the feeling that certain teams are liberally resting players, so you're not necessarily getting a team's best effort. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how Skull fares next season once you, know, you figure he's probably going to be more of a primary fixture in the rotation from the get-go. But I don't know how you're not encouraged by what you've seen out of him the last month, I think, you know, especially based on the very little you saw him prior to the all-star break it's definitely a good side effect of the boogie trade is it freed all these minutes for Kali Stein and forced golf to show that they actually could be part of the Kings long-term future who won the Kings and Pelicans trade Brian see it's I always hate grading these <laughs> trades because you just don't know like it, you know if I said the Kings and then the Pelicans get a top three pick then it's pretty clearly Pelicans, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they protect their pick. Clearly. <laughs> so, and you don't know, you know, Boogie, it was rough at first with him and Anthony Davis, but since, like, the start of March, they've actually been playing pretty well together. You don't know what happens with Boogie in 2018. Does he resign in New Orleans or does he leave? Because if he leaves, then it's pretty clearly the Kings as well. I think the, the thing I will say is that both teams – could still come out the winner, be like the overall winner, but it could ultimately be a win-win for both sides because Sacramento spent so many water, spent so many first-round picks on these big guys in the last couple of years, Collie Stein, Skull, and then Papianis as well. So they were, it seems like they were preparing for this moment um, where they knew, you know, they were probably going to have to part ways with Boogie at some point. So let's get a bunch of young, talented big men we can throw in there to replace him. So, you know, it, it looked insane at the time because you're thinking, like, you know you guys have DeMarcus Cousins, right? Like, why are you drafting four big men and not filling out your rotation with guards and wings? But now, in retrospect, it actually looks pretty smart. So 
I don't want to say either way that there's a clear winner just mm-hmm. yet. I think we need to see what happens with Boogie in 2018, what happens with that lottery pick. You know, this coming June, we need to see if it falls in the top three. Um, but so far, you know, it's, it's looking like there are positive side effects for both teams. I, I don't think there's a clear winner or loser just yet. And one of those positive uh, aspects of the team is Buddy Hill. What do you make of his performance this uh, year as becoming a member of the Kings? And I thought he was the most underrated player in the NBA draft last season. What do you think of Buddy? Yeah, I, I mean, I was really impressed by how he's kind of come into his own since coming into Sacramento. You know, he really, because he was buried behind Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday, obviously he's not going to be the number one option offensively in New Orleans. So he really, you know, kind of fell into that, like, spot-up role where he didn't do much else. He's shown a lot more creativity, I think, um, since coming to Sacramento. I, I don't... I haven't. Up, I, I wrote this article. I think uh, it went up on Monday, so these stats are a little bit out of date. But he had already, yeah, he, he was shooting um, as of Saturday. He was shooting fifty-three point five percent overall and forty-eight point eight percent from deep on cold numbers. So you know, a lot of it is because he's shooting a lot of open. Sh- shots, but he's creating off the dribble more it seems, which wasn't really an aspect of his game that you saw in New Orleans. Um, so I think the fact that he just he seems like he has more of a green light is good. Uh, you know, Vivek reportedly compared him to Stephen Curry, which he just seems to love to do to every guard he acquires. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not going to go there because, you know, Stephen Curry is a top five NBA player, but I, you know, Buddy has he could be a very poor man, Stephen Curry. He has that same kind of ability to create... And that's okay. Going, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Right? You know, a poor man, Stephen Curry, is still a very good player. Yes. So, uh, I, I'm very encouraged by what I've seen out of him so far. I'm excited to see him grow as a player over the coming years. What have you thought of Willie Colley-Stein overall? One of his biggest... Uh, mishaps per se or biggest criticisms has been his rebounding it's been lacking and the past i think three games or four games he's been killing on the on he's been killing it on the boards but it's been against inferior competition so what do you make of that yeah i'm actually uh i'm writing a fantasy basketball article tomorrow for uh fan record and willie collie is going to be one of the guys i recommend picking up because he's been killing it on the boards these last couple games. You know, I think, as you said, it's been against inferior competition, and I think you guys played the Lakers on Friday night, so he's probably going to feast again. Um, You know, I I think a lot of it is, it seemed like he was very frustrated earlier in the season uh, with... He was. Not having... Yeah, like... (laughs) I know for a fact. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, just... He's still like, he's pretty inexperienced for a guy who's now you know halfway through his rookie contract. Like he just hasn't had the run you would expect for a number six overall pick. So I think as he gets in the rotation more, he'll become more consistent on on the glass. Hopefully, um, you know as of, of again as of Saturday, he had been averaging almost eight rebounds in about thirty two minutes per game since the All Star break, which is you know not like Dwight Howard, Andre Drummond level, but it's 
you know, not Al Horford either. Like you, <laughs> there's a happy medium there. Uh, um, so I, I, again, I, I'm like encouraged by what I've seen since the All Star break. Uh, I think there's definitely room for him to grow on both ends of the court, and he's. I think the the more encouraging part is that he's showing more of that offensive range. Um, that he really just didn't have a chance to show because Boogie, you know, obviously if you have DeMarcus Cousins, you're going to feed him the ball as much as you can. But without that high-usage guy, now Willie is starting to shoulder more of that offensive responsibility as well. Brian Tobrick of bballbreakdown.com is joining us on the Cowbell Kingdom podcast. And there's been rumors recently the Kings are probably going to make some front office moves this summer. What do you make of all this? Uh, how, how nonsense. You, nonsense. I was going to say the word. Because it was nonsense, yeah. man. Yeah. What do you make of the uh, rumors of, of Sam uh, Hinkie coming? I think it was a slow day that day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you guys would ask me about this. Okay. Uh, you know, I think here, here's my thinking about Sam Hinkie in general. Uh, obvious, I'm a Sixers guy, so I hold yeah, you are. a very <laughs> – I hold him close to my heart, uh, and I apologize for what he did to you guys a couple of years ago with that Nick Stauskas trade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that said, I mean that was Vladdy's worst worst move, though, and and in my eyes, the only bad move he's made as GM of the Kings. Yeah, that that one was pretty indefensible. I mean, you know, the logic, <laughs> I guess. The logic was let's try to sign a big name free agent, and they almost had Wes Matthews, but right? They like they offered him more money, but they ended up taking from the Mavericks in theory. Um, See, but that was a right. vex saying we need to win now, and that short sighted let's win right. now mentality, which that wasn't Vladi at all. Obviously, it's going to come down to Vladi because he made he technically made the trade and he pulled the trigger, but it was mm-hmm. you know the ownership saying we need to win now because we have Boogie Cousins and. Like you said earlier, Vladi kind of knew what he wanted to do from the start, which is why he drafted Scout, which is why he drafted Papayanis. He had these projects in mind, thinking, you know what? It's going to come to a day where I, we might part ways with this guy because at the end of the day, in my eyes, he wasn't worth 235 or whatever, $200 million. Right, yeah. So I two thoughts on you. First is, as you mentioned, that, you know, VVAC is my big concern because – he hasn't yet shown that he has the patience for a long-term rebuild, which seems like, especially if you're bringing in Hinky, that's what you would be asking for. That said, I think it's a little too simplistic. You know, if you if when the news came out initially, people were like, "Oh my God, he's going to tank the Kings just like he tanked the Sixers." You have to look at the context of what he inherited with the Sixers, which is they had just traded for Andrew Bynum, they traded away a bunch of future first-round picks. They had very few young players on the roster. So he really needed to replenish their war chest before he could really start making moves and start making them competitive, which is why it took so long, you know, that's ultimately a three-year tank job. With Sacramento, he came in, you know, he would have Buddy, he'd have Willie Cauley-Stein, he'd have Skull, he'd have Malachi Richardson. In theory, you know, barring any disaster on lottery night, he would have two top ten picks. So... I think you would be getting a very different Sam Hinkie than the one in Philadelphia, as long as Vivek is okay with, you know, we're going to play our young guys next year. We're probably going to win 25 to 30 games. We're not going to actively go out and try to sign every big-name free agent. We're not going to go after Blake Griffin and mm-hmm. Chris Paul and Drew Holiday. Like, we're going to 
shoot a little bit lower and try to get like a bargain free agent. Maybe we go after a guy like Patty Mills and, you know, sign him to what seems unreasonable, but then, you know, look at like what Toronto did with Corey Joseph a couple of years ago. And now Corey Joseph, you know, stepped in for the last month and filled Kyle Lowry's shoes pretty well. So I think if Vivek has the patience, Sam Hinkie would actually make sense. Um, and second, I mean, look at, you know, look at the Lakers right now. You've got Magic. He, you know, Woj was the one who I think termed the reported desire to make this move as like Vlade would turn into a figurehead. That's kind of what Magic is, right? Like he brought in Rob Palenka to deal with like the day-to-day CBA nuances because mm-hmm. Rob Palenka is very experienced with that stuff. And it takes years and years and years to really get a solid grasp on you know, which tiny loophole you can manipulate. I think Sam would be really great in that role where he can kind of be the guy behind the scenes. He doesn't have to deal with the press, which he clearly abhorred during his time in Philly. So Vlade can be the public face of the organization. He'll still have, you know, I don't know how the power structure would be um, aligned if this move happened, but in theory, maybe he would still be in, like he would have, final say maybe um but then like sam could at least do the day-to-day machinations he can do the free agent signings and like negotiate contracts that kind of thing mm-hmm. so i think it makes sense to bring in a guy who's experienced with the cba whether it's sam hinky or another guy you know, i don't know who else they're looking at necessarily so i understand the logic behind it if uh vlade is okay with it but you know, it seems like front office dysfunction has kind of crippled the Kings over the last couple of years with the whole Pete D'Alessandro stuff. So you'd want to make sure that you're not going down that road again. Yeah, and I saw it like this. I was okay with uh, Sam coming in and taking on a role that was under Vlade. Um, but when Woj broke the news, he pretty much made it sound like minority owners wanted and these were his words wanted someone more professional um which you know i got on the beat right away and that was just false um and again that's why matt george and i um got in a huge argument about that like i don't question his his accuracy on on reports because he's obviously the best but in that particular report he was flat out wrong and you know, for him to say that they're trying to replace Lottie was like, okay, you're going to replace Lottie for a guy that has won, you know, 20 games. I like, I get it. He he's smart, <laughs> but come on, you're not replacing Vlade with Pat Riley. You're replacing Vlade with Sam Hinkie, who, let's be honest, he doesn't have that resume yet. And some, and to me, very similar to what Vlade did and what Vlade inherited. And Vlade inherited a a huge mess. And in my eyes. You don't replace Vlade for a guy like Sam Hinkie. I think you can add Sam Hinkie to the front office to solidify the front office, but to replace him, to me, that report was just such a joke, man. Yeah, I mean, it's the question is if you, it, I, you know, based on everything you saw in Philly, Hinkie really did not like dealing with the media. So if you're going to have him... Well, that's not good then. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So if you're going to have him as your new... GM, president, everything, like the all-encompassing role, mm-hmm. unless he is completely, you know, maybe he learned from his time in Philly, and maybe he realizes, like, 
you know, I do have to basically just give BS quotes to the media. Like, look at what Danny Ainge does. He says, oh, we came so close to trading all of our picks for this player every year. And he goes, like, you can't trust a word out of any GM's mouth, basically. So maybe Sam has realized, like, okay, that's all I have to do. Like, Brian Colangelo, that's all he's doing in Philly. So, uh, okay, I'll play that game, too. Um, but if not, then, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there would be some value in keeping Vlade around in some type of role. Again, I don't, don't know who would have the final say in these decisions, but if Vlade can be the public face of the front office and keep Sam out of the spotlight as he seemingly prefers, then there's value in that. And if Sam can bring his experience with the CBA and with, you know, <laughs> apparently he does not have a great relationship with agents. So <laughs> if Vlade does, then, you know, keeping him for that reason could be valuable as well. Um, it, it would be, I do think Sam's going to get another job in the NBA at some point. I don't know if it'll be the King's job or elsewhere, uh, but I'm very interested to track his next move. And it's a cakewalk in Sacramento compared to Philadelphia for Sam Hinkie with media, um, if that ever happens. But I want to ask you about the what's the hot topic in the NBA this week, and that's resting players, Brian. What's your take on uh, all these major teams doing it? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I, I I think it's it's not a perfect system by any means, but like if you know, we've gotten so advanced in terms of medical tracking, and all, you know, all these teams are like slapping these biosensors on their players that can sense how fatigued they are, and if they're saying like, "Look, my guy is dangerously fatigued," you know, the Spurs have I think six games in the final nine nights of the season. If they're saying, you know, you played in an overtime game, Kawhi Leonard, and now you're playing the Lakers the next night, it makes sense to rest him in the second half. That's fine. I, I understand why fans are upset, of course. You know, if you pay 200 bucks to go see an NBA game and it's your only game of the season and LeBron James isn't playing or Steph Curry isn't playing, that sucks. It's There's no perfect answer. Uh, you know, I think the, the debate really caught fire because there were the back-to-back national TV Saturday night games where you know, I think the Cavs rested everyone and then the game the week before the Warriors rested everyone. That seems like the place to target. You know, if you're going to have a national TV game, I feel like the NBA should make a greater effort scheduling-wise, mm-hmm. uh, make sure they're not on a back-to-back so then guys have less excuse to rest when healthy. That said, the cam, you know, two of the three chaos guys were genuinely hurt for that one, so it was really just LeBron who rested. Um, but you know, I, everyone's talking about like, you know, uh, well, shorten the season, like shorten it to 58 games or 66 games or even 76 games. But I don't see either side, players or owners, being willing to make that concession and cut their profits. And I, you know, I don't know how that affects the TV deals too. I would assume the TV deals they negotiated specify we're paying for 82 games worth of mm-hmm. uh, action. So I don't know. I, I feel like there are a lot of factors to consider here. That you know, in a perfect world, sure, we, I'd love to see every player play every game. But if it's a matter of you know, you're you're pushing a player past the limit of you know risking an injury and then having him sideline in the playoffs, like, you know, let's be honest, that's what matters the most, both for the NBA and for fans. Like, we want to see, 
knock on wood, like most superstars are going to be entering the playoffs healthy now. You know, mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry was out after last month. Kevin Durant has been out for the last month. He's coming back on Saturday. So, like, we could have a really great playoffs because we have so many superstars healthy. But, you know, is it worth it to push a LeBron James or a Kawhi Leonard in these final few weeks of the season when their seeding is already locked in just because, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm unlucky fan, buy tickets for that game? I don't think so. Brian Torprek of uh, bballbreakdown.com joining us this evening. Final question for you, Brian, and then we'll let you go for the night. Um, Who's your MVP in the NBA this season? (laughs) I should have known. Uh, I mean, you you guys could go back. I do a podcast called the NBA Podcast, and uh, we did preseason picks, and I picked James Harden, and my two co-hosts, one of whom is a Bulls fan, the other is a Spurs fan. They both had Kawhi, and they both gave me a tremendous amount of crap for picking James Harden. That said, I've really come around to rust in the past week or so. I mean, it's unfair because, you know, I had Harden ahead for a majority of the season, and then he hurts his wrist, and he's just, there are a couple games where he just didn't really look right, but... You know, I, I keep going back to the argument of, like, if I'm going to think back to this season in 20 years, what am I going to remember? Yeah, it's going to be this is the first year I saw Harden, Harden as the full point guard, and we saw him, like, truly unleashed under the Mike D'Antoni system. And, yeah, the Rockets, you know, wildly over as he was based on preseason expectations. But I'm going to remember Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double. You know, it's, he's playing the Suns on Friday night. Realistically, he's about to break the single-season triple-double record. I get the arguments that, like, yeah, yeah, it's stupid. You know, it's a round number. Would it make a difference if he was averaging 9.9 rebounds? And no, it wouldn't. And Harden is not far off from those averages. But there's also a reason that hasn't been done in 50 years. Like, five years ago, a triple-double was was a huge deal. But now Russell has made it just as, like, a nightly occurrence. You're not even surprised. Like, he had a 12-13-13 game the other night and you were disappointed by that so like oh that's it that's all he scored so for that that reason i think i mean you know there's still six days left in the season maybe one of the maybe like james Harden has like a 90 40 20 game and changes my mind again but as of right now i'm leaning rough thank you for joining us tonight brian thank you guys back after this on cowbell kingdoms podcast episode 288 Matt has the night off. Welcome back to Cowbell Kingdom's podcast. Dustin Brakebell alongside Leo Bias, the editor of CowbellKingdom.com. What a great interviews tonight, Leo. They were great. Yeah. Chris was great. Brian was great. Lots of insightful information. I messed up his last name. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like I do a lot. It's. <laughs> I think I did too. And he was yeah. just nice enough yeah. to say, you guys got it right. <laughs> yes, it was one of those names. You're like, yeah, I'm probably going to put you this. I'm sorry. So yeah. But thank you for joining us. And uh, those uh, will be up on the website as soon as we get those edited. But uh, Leo? Yeah. And before we end the show, mm-hmm. I want to give uh, a huge shout out to our sponsors, HoopCats.com. Valley Tire Center and uh, Reno Dodge. Uh, make sure to download the Valley Tire Center mobile app, register, and turn on your notifications to get free tire balancing. Check out their website for more details. They're doing great stuff. They're, they always donate mm-hmm. tickets. Uh, we, we always do giveaways. You know, Valley Tire has been great this season. Uh, thank you so much. And Reno Dodge as well. If you're looking for a Dodge Ram or any Dodge vehicle, 
Reno Dodge will match your down payment up to $1,000 if you mention the CK special. It's a really good deal, guys. Go down there right now, uh, and the tax rate in Nevada is a lot less than here, so <laughs> you're going to see a big difference if you purchase a car from Don Weir's Reno Dodge dealership. And uh, last but not least, HoopCats.com. If you're looking for NBA autographs, NBA memorabilia, or trading cards, HoopCats.com has them all. They also do giveaways on their Instagram page all the time, so follow them to keep up. You can also visit their online store for more information. And uh, that was a great interview with Brian. You kind of saw your Sam Hinky. Uh, you don't really <laughs> like him, do you, Leo? Uh, I like Sam, uh, but but again, I just don't see Sam as the guy to replace Vladi Divots. Yeah, and when Brian said that he didn't even like talking to the media in Philadelphia. And which, I'm like, what's the point of bringing them on? Like, yeah. That's that's the point, according to Woj's report. Yeah. They need someone more, more professional. And I'm like, well, if he doesn't like talking to the media. And especially Philadelphia, which is a lot tougher than Sacramento. <laughs> yes. Sorry to our friends in the media in Sacramento. Yeah. But Philadelphia, We're soft. Yeah, Philadelphia is <laughs> hardcore. Look at what Danny Ainge has done in Boston, as Brian also said in the interview. He's Danny Ainge is like, yeah, whatever, I played here, so... Yeah, I can say whatever I want, so yeah. I already know this role. But Sam Inky, if you're going to be one of the faces of the franchise, you have to talk to the media, and that's your part of your job is the GM or whatever job you get with the Kings. Yeah, but again... Yeah. Or whatever team you get to the, the organization yeah. came out mm-hmm. and... Said no. Said no right away, yeah. and that was the right thing to do. Yeah. Only uh, I wish I was mad about what Vladi traded Nick Sauskis as his girlfriend, Nick's girlfriend. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, was, I was kind of disappointed. Pretty cute. <laughs> yeah, I followed her on Instagram, not going to lie. But, yeah, it's uh, been a great show tonight, and Leo, thank you for letting me fill in for Matt. Thank you so much, Dustin. You did a great job, man. And uh, this has been Cowbell Kingdom's uh, podcast, episode 288. Thanks to Matt George for letting me fill in, and he'll be back next week right here on CK Podcast. Thank you for listening to Cowbell Kingdom right here on cowbellkingdom.com. Take a closer look at unlimited data plans, and you'll see they're not always upfront with their prices. Not at T-Mobile. Get unlimited data with taxes and fees already included. And right now, get four lines of unlimited data while on our network for just 40 bucks each per month with AutoPay. So go ahead, take a closer look, and you'll see nobody does unlimited like T-Mobile. Don't wait. Hurry into a T-Mobile store or call us at 1-800-T-MOBILE and switch today. Top 3% of data users over 32 gigs a month may notice reduced speeds. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.